there's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nara Youssef. Today we're talking about autism. In 2018, the CDC determined that approximately 1 in 59 children is diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder, ASD. That's 1 in 37 boys and 1 in 151 girls. And the range and severity of symptoms can, wi- can vary uh, widely. And for today's topic, we have with us Director of Cleveland Clinic Children's Center for Autism, Dr. Cynthia Johnson. Thank you so much for being here sure. today. And if you want to just take a few moments to introduce yourself. Sure, I'd be glad to. So I'm, uh, again, Cynthia Johnson. I'm a uh, behavioral psychologist. I've been in the field for about over a little over 20 years. I joined the Center for Autism in June, um, having uh, been at the University of Florida and University of Pittsburgh previously, where I ran the Center for Autism at Children's Hospital. And I'm glad to be here. Great. Thank you so much for being here. And before we begin, please remember this is for informational purposes only, and it's not intended to replace your own physician's advice. All right. So let's get started. Um, First of all, let's talk about what is autism. Sure. So autism is a neurodevelopmental disorder characterized by deficits in two areas, the first being social communication deficits. Um, So not just uh, deficits in communication, but using communication to engage socially, as well as restrictive and repetitive behaviors, which can take the form of repetitive movements, um, restricted interest in various topics, um, using words um, repetitively, Mm -hmm. Um, so a whole range of behaviors. Sure, sure. And um, are there main symptoms or signs of autism? Those, well, those, the two main symptoms are social communication um, weaknesses, as well as restricted and repetitive behaviors. Those are our diagnostic criteria, but along with the symptoms associated with uh, autism spectrum disorder Mm -hmm. are a number of of co-occurring issues as well. Sure. Now, what kind of social communication are we talking about? Are we talking about eye contact? So eye contact, use of eye contact, use of gestures, so nonverbal communication. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, for a young child, that might be waving bye-bye, pointing, um, the lack of a point to communicate or just to show something of interest to a parent. and then using our hand, you know, communicating with our hands. Mm-hmm. So it's not just maybe being delayed in verbal communication, but being delayed in use of nonverbal. And at what age are we able to identify a child with um, autism? So early identification is an area we've really made great strides in recent years in picking up these behaviors um, within even the first year of life. Oh, okay. And um, so... Can we explain a little bit um, to our viewers and listeners how people with autism process sensory information very differently? That's a great question, an area that we have uh, so much more to learn mm-hmm. in terms of um, you know, why sensory input is troubling to individuals with autism. It probably has to do with their differences in just processing all information coming in. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's just an area we need to do much more research in. 
Um, at present, what we can do is to accommodate and acknowledge those differences to make individuals with ASD more comfortable in whatever environment they're in. Now, with children with ASD, are they, um, do they have similar symptoms or does it vary widely? Uh, yes, symptoms okay. can vary widely based on developmental levels. Mm -hmm. So we may have children who have significant delays in their development to children who show very few delays, but just the characteristics of ASD. Um, and depending on developmental level might be differences in how they present these behaviors, such as their social communication deficits and their restrictive and, and repetitive behaviors. Sure. And what about adults? Adults and mm -hmm. autism? Is, yeah. that, is that pretty common? Sure, of course. These children do grow up mm -hmm. to become adults. Um, and they will vary in terms of their need for support. So it may be an individual who is incredibly gifted, um, who goes on to college, but may need to have some supports to help them get organized, um, help them in social situations to be successful. Um, two individuals who are adults with ASD who may need to live in, an, uh, to have more supports and live in a environment that gives them support, you know, around the clock. Sure. Great. And then can we talk about causes? Sure. Do we know the causes? Yeah. So again, we've made progress in this area. Not, we're not where we would like to be. Um, we know that it is a very genetic, that it's a disorder um, that has a very complicated genetic um, picture. Mm -hmm. um, and again, just in the last decade, we've made gains in what, what our knowledge is. I just gave a talk on Friday and I said, you know, this is an area where the more we learn, the more we need to know. Yes. Right. Um, right. We know that there's probably environmental contributors um, interacting with um, the gene picture. Um, but again, we, this is an area we're still learning a great deal about. And specifically what, like what with the environmental, um, factors? There's been some risk factors that include, um, prematurity is a risk factor. Again, that doesn't mean, uh, a child who is premature is going to have autism, right. just puts them at higher risk. Um, actually older parents are a risk factor. Mm -hmm. And then some of the epidemiology studies now are um, uncovering some environmental um, pollutants that oh. may be contributory. Again, not every child that's exposed to p pollutants is um, going to be diagnosed with autism, but it's a higher risk. It's probably some interaction with a gene profile. Sure, sure. Now, how is a child diagnosed? Right, good question. So a child is diagnosed um, by doing a very comprehensive um, interview with their caregivers, their parents. Mm -hmm. And then we have some gold standard um, diagnostic measures that where we work with the child to see how they interact with uh, specialized materials. Um, and then we also want to uh, get as much information from that child's therapist, from the child's teacher. It's important to get as much information to get the picture um, and determine if the child meets our diagnostic criteria for ASD. So if I had a child that I think may have autism, it would mm -hmm. be kind of like an interview style mm -hmm. to kind of find out how right. they Right, that would be a starting place, mm -hmm. but then working with that child mm -hmm. um, and again, get, getting as much input from other people that know that child. Sure. So it's really important for us to listen right. as clinicians who are diagnosing um, a child with ASD. Great, now um, how about treatment? Right. Any treatments that we can talk about today? Sure. It's one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> yes. Um, and again, a place where we've made um, considerable progress in the last 15 years. 
Um, to date, the primary treatment is intensive behavior therapy. Um, you'll hear the words discrete trial training, verbal behavior, but it's all out of the field of applied behavior analysis. Okay. That has the strongest um, empirical basis um, to be shown to be um, effective. Mm -hmm. Um, to address both the core features, the social communication deficits um, in autism, but also a lot of the core occurring um, issues that children with autism present with. Now, are there medical issues that are usually accompanied mm -hmm. with yeah. autism? Unfortunately, yes. Mm -hmm. um, so children with autism are at uh, about 25% of children with autism will have a seizure at some point, mm -hmm. so they're much higher risk for having epilepsy that needs to be treated. Um, they do tend to have um, higher GI issues. Mm -hmm. um, we're not sure if that's part of autism or the fact that they also are very selective in what they eat that puts them at risk right. for some of those issues. Um, they have considerably more sleep disturbances. Um, I mentioned um, food selectivity, so very picky about what they eat. Yeah. That then puts them at uh, risk for nutritional issues. Um, yeah, so medically they need to be closely monitored sure. to make sure we're catching any co-occurring medical issues. So with the GI issues that they may be having, is there a diet that's best linked to not treat it, but you know, right. keep it under, under control? So there was thoughts in recent years that a wheat and uh, dairy-free diet would be of use, but that really hasn't panned out to okay. be helpful. Um, and it's a great deal of work. So yeah. I actually did a study of a gluten and casein-free diet mm -hmm. um, a few years back. And it's expensive for families to do. And we just didn't see any improvements as a result of adhering to that diet. I see. So there's nothing that is... No. Okay, no. Unless there's a medical reason for them to you know, sure. not be exposed to dairy or gluten. Okay, great. And then... Um, how about technology? Is there uh, any new technology that is yeah, used for treatment? Right. So um, you'll see, if you visited here at our school, you would see all the children walking around with iPads. Not all, but a lot yeah. would be walking around with iPads, with um, a communication system on the iPads for them to use. Um, and again, various um, levels, depending on the child's skills whether it's you know reading something from the iPad, um, a picture on the iPad. So I'm actually very excited about the use of technology to help support these individuals um, to the delivery of treatment. So I was just funded um, a study where we're gonna deliver an intervention via telehealth to parents. So in that way, we'll be able to um, reach more families that don't might not live close to a center-based program. Sure, sure. I know you're very involved with the research. Yep. So let's talk about some of the research mm -hmm. that you're doing. I know um, yeah. you do s uh, something with sleep disturbances. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so this, uh, this newly funded study, we will recruit 90 young children. Mm -hmm. And again, they can live anywhere. Um, it will be delivered via the Cl uh, Cleveland Clinic um, telehealth system, Express Care. Um, to no charge to the family. So oh, families great. will actually be able to get the intervention and we will compensate them for their time. Um, and we will compare this tr um, parent training program um, specifically targeting sleep disturbances compared to a, a parent education program that we've used before that families find useful. So regardless of what arm of the, of the um, study they're randomized to, they get 
um, some specialized information. So is it pretty common um, for kids? Yeah, yeah. Some estimates, like up to 80% of children with ASD have some type of sleep problem. Wow. Yeah. And how about um, disruptive behavior? And then I know we talked Mm -hmm. about early intensive behavior therapy. We can maybe get into that a little bit more. Yeah, they're kind of tied together too, right? Mm -hmm. So... um, just we maybe two years ago we completed uh, the largest randomized trial of so- psychosocial intervention, and in that study we were specifically targeting disruptive behaviors. And about 50% of children with ASD also have disruptive behaviors, which can be even more interfering in their daily lives and their core features of autism. So tantrums, having meltdowns. Um, being aggressive towards others, um, engaging in self-interest behavior, so aggression towards themselves, um, which is very, very stressful to families. So our, our treatment for that was 11 sessions of working with parents one-on-one, um, and again, it was found to be very effective. Um, and not only did it decrease these children's disruptive behaviors, we were able to demonstrate parents who received this intervention, their levels of stress went significantly down compared to our controls. Right, right. Yeah. And then segue into intensive (laughs) um, early behavioral intervention is, again, we were talking about that's where we've made some gains to show how effective we can be. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough to receive some additional um, grant funds to study um, early intervention, sort of how people go about doing it as usual compared to more um, less, uh, less intensive but more targeted um, where we'll fold in our disruptive um, behavior treatment, our sleep intervention, our feeding intervention. So that hasn't started yet. Yeah. That's a five-site study um, with several other institutions that will be participating. So we're really excited about getting that going. And again, that... The benefit for families is to get this inter- get interventions um, quickly um, and to be involved with research teams that sure. are very familiar with ASD. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot to do. Sounds mm-hmm. like you're doing a great job. Well, I want to ask you one more question, then we're going to go to some live All questions. Right. Um, why early intervention is crucial? I know we talked a little bit sure. about that. But sure. Well, our thinking is that the earlier we can intervene, that we can offset sort of this cascade of disruptive development mm-hmm. and sort of close the gap of these ch- children's um, developmental differences. And I think we're seeing that. Yeah. So, for example, when I first got in the field, we the statistic was around 70% of children with ASD also had an intellectual disability. Mm-hmm. And that statistic now is around 50%. Um, And I think we can attribute a lot of this to the fact that we intervene much earlier than we once did and can offset some of those differences. Sure. And there are signs before the age of one that you can? There are signs within the age of one. Okay. Yeah. We're getting better and better about going younger and younger and seeing risk factors. Um, We've learned a lot from uh, a series of studies, which I wasn't part of, but looking at Um, babies, so siblings of, um, uh, who have an older sibling with autism. So picking up those babies and studying those babies early has, has, um, 
gleaned a lot of light on how we can, what signs we can look in that first year sure, alive. Sure, very good. All right, so if you guys, again, have any questions, make sure you put in the comment section below. We are getting some live questions here. I'm going to start with this nice long one. Uh, Karen, mm -hmm. uh, I have an adult son with high-functioning autism, Asperger's. He's 27, takes two classes a semester, majoring in computer science and engineering. He completed his first of three required co-ops, but struggled because there was no real mentor for him. He has also been struggling to get another co-op. The um, prob the other problem he had is that outside of us he has no of us he has no social life. We've been to uh, several psychiatrists, but it seems like they don't know how to work with adults in the spectrum. He also suffers with depression and anxiety. We live on the west side of Cleveland. He doesn't mm -hmm. drive, but I retired early so I can drive him. Looking for support, uh, a job coach, healing, dealing, uh, help dealing with his frustrations, uh, and thank you for supporting uh, parents and siblings. Would also be nice. <laughs> Yeah. So Karen, <laughs> yeah, that is a lot. Yeah. Um, I want to say I'm so glad to hear that he's doing well in classes and identified. I'm assuming these areas, um, computer science and engineering, are strengths. Unfortunately, this profile of not having social connections is one we hear often that then puts individuals, you know, at further risk for depression and anxiety. And you made me realize I should have mentioned that individuals with ASD are at higher risk for anxiety and depression. Mm. Um, so I'm glad he's seeing a psychiatrist. I'm, I'm guessing they are addressing those issues. Um, as I mentioned um, at the beginning, I am new to Cleveland, so I have not learned the adult um, um, programs in the area. Uh, however, it's just a real issue for adults like your son across the country getting the social supports. Mm -hmm. I know one place that um, individuals with ASD who are in college is that colleges are improving their support system, so the counseling center, centers. Um, at the universities. I came from the University of Florida where they had a counseling center that offered those supports. So I'm wondering if you've looked there. Um, and again, I barely know what west of Cleveland is. It looks like. Um, but I would check with their, with your son's uh, college to see if they have any, any supports. And that's another issue. I mean, education mm -hmm, right. with a kid with autism, you know, some kids can't sit in one spot and just learn the way that everybody right, else learns. Right. So. so, but obviously Karen's son has made it to yep, college. Yep. It sounds like he's, you know, taken a lower co course load, which I hear often too, kind of needing to go slower. So not bec becoming overwhelmed. And then he's sure. on top of it, if he's suffering from depression and anxiety, right, right, he needs right. to address that um, for overwhelming him. Um, yeah. So I think, again, we've made progress in being flexible to our learners. Right. You know, one place is online these days. There's so yeah. much being offered online where individuals can pace themselves, which benefits many people, sure. but particularly individuals with ASD. Sure. Great. All right. Next question I have is Tom. It seems like there are so many kids being diagnosed with autism. Is it considered an epidemic? It's considered a huge public health issue mm -hmm. and a high, uh, high prevalence. Um, I'm not sure if it meets criteria for epidemic, right. but I think that the increase in prevalence can be explained um, part by our much better identification um, and awareness um, than it what once has. All right, great. And then Rebecca, I have heard people uh, refer to Asperger's as autism. Is this mm -hmm. true? Or right. And what are the differences? Right, great question. Yeah. 
So Asperger was used in our earlier diagnostic um, criteria under DSM-4. Um, with our change in DSM to DSM-5 in, uh, now it's five years ago. <laughs> I used to say it was just last year. Now it's five years ago. Um, the term Asperger's is not in our diagnostic criteria. Mm. So Asperger's was referred to individuals who, um, by definition, had no language or cognitive differences, but showed signs um, consistent with autism in the other areas. Um, and certainly there are people that were diagnosed with Asperger um, who continue to use that label, which I think is perfectly fine, but we don't give that diagnosis anymore. All right. And I have Sarah. Is there help for young adults with high-functioning autism? Well, I think that goes back to Karen's question. Yeah. Um, yes, there's help. Is there enough? Probably not. Um, you know, as the field became better and better about early diagnosing, diagnosing, we've diagnosed more children who are become um, aging up. Mm -hmm. um, there are system barriers that have not us, allowed us to develop as many interventions and test those interventions too. And part of it has to do with child services versus adult services. Mm -hmm. So yes, we need to do a better job. Yes, we need to figure out how to help uh, adults with ASD and give them the support they need. So when your child gets an autism diagnosis, will you find out where they fall in the autism spectrum right away? So we, all, we give families um, feedback about sort of the severity within the domains and then any um, information about the severity in terms of their developmental differences and it's important to kind of keep those separate. So you can have a child who may be exceeding their peers in cognitive de development but still have symptoms of autism that are getting in the way with daily functioning. You may also have a child whose development is far behind um, that we need to start a different place with intervention. Sure, sure. And um, Lowy, uh, my nephew is now six years old and 10 months, six year and 10 month old. Almost um, seven. He almost seven. He started speaking at five. Wow. Um, can he lead a normal life? Possibly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he is on the later side of um, starting to talk. But what we know now is that's, you know, the fact that he's talking and if he's using it functionally, he has a good prognosis to continue to make progress. Great. And then, uh, Grace, can children learn vocational skills to go on and have careers? Absolutely. But again, I think that's where we need um, better um, data behind when to switch gears with um, children with ASD, when to go down a vocational track versus, you know, a straight academic um, road. Sure, sure. And then uh, Laura wants to know, what are the causes of autism and is it genetic? We think it's highly, highly genetic, um, but the picture is very, very complicated with many, many genes implicated. And so we're still learning a great deal about that. Um, and then we also think there are environmental risks, again, which we need to learn more about. Okay. And then uh, Anne wants to know, how would I know if my child has autism? Is there a test for it? Yeah. So there are some gold standard measures that we use. Um, uh, to diagnose autism. 
So the most common one you'll hear about that we do with the child is called the Autism Diagnostic Observation Schedule um, 2, because it was revised. Um, there's also something uh, referred to as the Autism Diagnostic Interview Revised, which is a lengthy interview. Um, most clinicians might not do that full interview, but they're going to ask many, many of the same questions to get at um, the child's developmental course, because that's really important in the diagnosis. Um, again, we have some specialized questionnaires. We have parents, teachers, therapists complete, and all of that information is pulled um, to make the diagnosis. So um, knowing that many children probably don't speak until maybe later in, in mm -hmm. life, uh, how do you do the interview questions or do you just see the interaction between parents so, and so with a child we do some structured play you know for the young child mm -hmm. some structured play activities okay. see how they react to us us see how they react to their family um, we look at you know are they if they're if they are late in talking are they using sort of backup systems are they using gestures to communicate their wishes and wants because even children that have a, a language delay are still communicating ineffectively right, right. Um, in ways that children with autism don't. Okay, great to know. All right, so Lisa, what is the treatment for autism? I know you mentioned that earlier. Right, but right. So uh, currently for the core features of autism, the social communication deficits, restrictive and repetitive behaviors, primary treatment is behavior therapy. So therapies out of the field of applied behavior analysis. Um, for individuals with other co-occurring issues, like the earlier caller who had a son with um, ASD, but also depression and anxiety, me medication may be um, uh, part of the treatment. Um, there's a large percentage, which I have failed to mention earlier, of children with ASD who also have attention weaknesses, so symptoms similar to attention hyperactivity um, disorder, mm -hmm. and they might be on a medication to help with attention weaknesses. I see. And then uh, Jen, could head banging at an eighteen month at eighteen months be concerned behavior? Does it always mean the child has autism? That's a great question. So at eighteen months, uh, child head banging doesn't always mean mm -hmm. they have they are at risk or they may have autism, um, but it's certainly a concern, particularly if the child is doing any damage. You know, babies earlier on do some mild head banging when they're put down for sleep or in a crib. Right. But if it's persistent, um, there's other developmental areas of concern, um, and, if, and or if the child is doing any damage, it's worthwhile um, seeking a referral um, to see a specialist. All right, and um, Amy, once you have the diagnosis, do you have it for life? Mm -hmm. And can the diagnosis cha change as you get older? That's a super question, and I get asked this a lot by yeah. families because um, the risk of having a label put on your child, yeah. um, the choice, you know, as I tell families, you know, as the diagnosis is there to, to get the child the help they need. If it's not, um, if it's not needed anymore, you know, you don't need to disclose that. Um, but it is a developmental diagnosis, so it's based on early development, and you can't change your early development. Um, but how that's shared um, is you, the parent is still in charge of how, how, where, who they share that information with. It's not a disorder that we think of as you know, being cured or going away. 
Um, but again, if an individual doesn't need any supports, then they don't need to disclose the earlier diagnosis. Great. And then Lauren, um, there's a, there is a child with autism who lives in the neighborhood. What is the appropriate way to approach a child with autism, especially with other children? Yes, great question. So I think the way to approach is let the child approach you um, in their comfort zone um, and just to give that child space and get to know that child so um, it's clear what his likes and dislikes are. And Robert, at what age do symptoms of autism begin? Is is it always when the child is small? Is it ever diagnosed after they've started school or even later? Yeah, great question. So as we started out this morning, we like to diagnose as early as possible, Mm -hmm. but there are certainly children who, so we can diagnose in the first year of life, but there are children who um, have mild presentation um, and their social differences do not become evident until they're put in a social setting like school and the demands of social are higher. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it is um, the case that sometimes we diagnose um, in later school age years and even later. Um, and with increased awareness, we are seeing more and more adults who present and are questioning where that, whether they have um, ASD. Sure. All right. I just have a few more questions for you. Um, I have a follow-up question from Lawi. My nephew is deficient in social interaction. How can it be improved? Thanks yes. for the answer. Yeah. Well, so some many there are many programs around that have um, so programs that are that do social skills training. Mm-hmm. So a combination of some structured programs to focus on social skills as well as just being able to forge your nephew with opportunities that he'll find um, interesting, you know, tapping into his interests, but are social in nature. I think we also have to be respectful of individuals, um, social tolerance, Mm -hmm. so not overwhelming him and taking small steps. Sure. And then uh, Trisha is asking, can you share more about the solutions for kids who are nonverbal? Who are Mm nonverbal. Yeah, so we are working very hard to figure out how to be more helpful to children who are nonverbal or minimally verbal, and there's some new interventions that have come out, um, primarily out of UCLA, um, where the focus is um, not just increasing verbal communication, but at least functional communication. And this is also where technology comes into play. Um, with the advent of iPads and specialized software so individuals can be more successful at communicating. Great. Well, thank you for your time. Is there yes. is there anything else that you want to leave our viewers or listeners with? I, I okay. can't think of anything. Okay, great. Yeah, we hit mind. it all. All right. Yeah. Well, and if you are interested in scheduling an individual consultation or assessment, please call 216-448-6440. And for more health tips and information from Cleveland Clinic, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Cleveland Clinic just one word. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.